think that this week will be the last week of the Holy Spirit series. Unless one of you comes up after and you're like, why didn't we talk about this or this or this? And then maybe I'll be like, oh, I don't know why, I forgot. And then maybe we'll talk about it more. So I think this is the last one. Um, but if you guys have some thoughts or some questions um, that you feel like would be worth addressing together as a church family, come, come and tell me after. Maybe we'll get into it another time. But here's the last one. It's about our Holy Spirit, the helper. Um, does anyone have a hard time asking for help? I, if you asked me that like a week ago or two weeks ago, I probably would have said, no, I don't. Um, as I've been thinking about this, as I've been writing this message this last week, I realized I really, really do have a hard time asking for help. It's not always a pride thing, like I don't need anyone's help, but it certainly sometimes is. It's been making me think about this old Seinfeld bit. Does anyone watch like old Jerry Seinfeld stand up? So your parents also raised you right, nice. Um, there's this bit that he tells about boys and men like loving superheroes, kind of fantasizing about being a superhero, how that's not just like a dream, that's like, we think of that as a legitimate option, something that we would like to do someday. And you can see this evidenced by a dude driving down the freeway with a, like a mattress on top of his car, kind of like loosely strapped to the top, but he's got his hand out the window with his arm on top thinking like, I got it, I got it. Even if a gust of wind comes, we'll be fine. Um, I think that can be me sometimes, I've never done that. Um, but I totally have a hard time asking for help. Um, sometimes I think it's that I don't think to ask for help, which is actually worse than not asking for help out of pride because it means that I'm not getting help and I'm stupid because I don't know that I need help. Um, sometimes I don't know what kind of help I need. So it's like, hey, I, kn I know this thing isn't going well. Um, I also wish that it was going different. And if I knew what I needed, I would have asked by now, but I don't. Sometimes I think help would be nice. I would think, yeah, that would be great if someone could help, but I just don't want to bother someone to help. Why stop them, uh, make them stop what they're doing to help me with this when I could just do it myself? It might take longer, it might be harder, I might mess it up or hurt myself, but at least I didn't bother anyone. <laughs> um, in my marriage, uh, my wife, Kristen, is really great at asking for help. She does not nag. She doesn't leave like honey-do lists around the house. She just asks for help when she needs help. <laughs> she has a better handle on the things that kind of need done around the house and the kind of the timing of these chores and these chores, and she just isn't afraid to say, hey, babe, can you do this thing uh, today? Um, whether it's something that she could do but doesn't have the time to do because she is doing 100 other things, including taking care of four children all the time, or because she needs some help with something that's maybe outside of her skill set, she just asks for help. I, however, do not ask for help. And there are plenty of things around the house where it would be nice. Hey, could you do this today? It'd be super helpful. Um, I just, I just never, I hardly ever ask for help. She does, she's great at it, I just don't. Here at church, this is probably the, like the biggest thing that has revealed to me my uh, lack of ability to ask for help. We are a small church plant, not even four years old. You'd think that by now I would be in a groove of asking people to help pitch in. I am terrible at asking for help. Whether, like, this, this room right here is exhibit A of, it took a lot for me to text four guys, can you come at 4.30 and help me set up some chairs? And so I would like deliberate, we, I've thought about doing this for a long time and thought, I won't do that by myself. I don't wanna ask for help. And so we were in there sweating because of my uh, lack of a desire to ask people for help. Um, every single time I ask, everyone's like, sure, I'd love to come help. And you guys help. You guys are amazing. This is not a you problem. This is a me problem, not asking for help. 
Um, even when people ask, like, hey, do you need help with anything? I'll be like, nah, I'm good. And then in my back of my mind, I'm like, why did you say that? You totally need help with something. I just lied. Um, last example, uh, just in my relationship with Jesus. Maybe you haven't thought about it this way. It sounds kind of funny, but I, I don't often think to ask the Lord to help me follow him. You'd think that like every day when I struggle to align my life with God's desires for me, that I would say like, Lord, you know better than I do how much help I need, so please help. Uh, but I don't. And what's ironic is, as I was thinking about it, the gospel is fundamentally a gospel of help. Now, don't freak out. Not self-help, not assistance, but actually a whole other category of help. Not like, I've kind of got this myself, but an extra hand once in a while would be good. Not that. It's like a, I literally cannot do this at all without the saving and regenerating and restoring power of Jesus on the cross, Jesus out of the tomb, and Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to us. We can do nothing without that. And yet, when I'm struggling, when I feel like I'm stuck in sin, or when I feel like I'm far from God, I act like I've got to fix it myself. Like if I can just get a few weeks or a few months kind of under my belt of fixing that problem in my life, then I think God will be ready for me to come back to him. And when the reality is that I should ask our loving Heavenly Father in the depths of and in the midst of my weakest moments for help, not once, not waiting until I feel strong again. But I forget this often. Forget to ask for help, to depend on help that is promised in scriptures. I often don't know what to ask, I don't know where to start, and I'm wondering if maybe anyone, any of you, my friends, can relate with that. Our text today, um, I think could be like a, I don't know, a mind-blowing, radical, like, encouragement about how much help we need and our God who offers us help in a, in a particular way. And so we're gonna read two verses today, Romans chapter eight, 26 and 27. If you have Bibles with you, open up there. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Holy Spirit, would you help us understand these words? Would you help us understand and see the help that you are offering us as weak humans who are trying to follow Jesus? So would you bring this scripture to the front of our mind, illuminate it for us, help us understand it, that we might become more like Jesus? In his name we pray, amen. Let's look at this one little line at a time. It begins with, in the same way, Paul is referencing something that he has already said about the work of the Spirit. Um, what he is referring to, I think, the last thing that he mentioned the Spirit does for us was in verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can look up in verse 16. But what the Spirit does that Paul mentioned earlier is the Spirit confirms our adoption as sons and daughters of God. So in the same way that the Spirit of God, through the Spirit, we can cry out, dad and he hears us as his children in the same way as that the spirit also helps us in our weakness as humans 
The context of most of this chapter, we're looking at the Spirit helps us in our weakness, this line. Most of the chapter eight is about um, how we and God kind of responds to suffering as, as broken humans in a broken world. And the flow of the argument, part of it goes like this. Life is very difficult for humans, sometimes often by our own choices, by others' choices that hurt us, and the whole of creation actually is um, broken. And the world is longing to be made right and restored. And the language of Romans here is that creation is groaning like a mother in the pains of childbirth. So like a mother's labor and pain precedes the birth of a new human life, so the labor pains of this broken world precede the birth of a new creation. Similarly, we as humans, are groaning in the pain of our brokenness. You might not phrase it that way, but that may be what is, that is what is happening. And we're waiting to be fully and finally redeemed and restored as children of God. So in short, both humans and creation are broken. Both humans and creation experience what Romans calls labor pains as we wait for new life in us and new creation in this world. And Paul calls this condition, this human condition, in our verse, he calls it weakness. So in the same way that the Spirit enables us to call God Father now, um, before all things are restored, we can call Father now and that message gets to him and he responds to us. Um, In that same way, the Spirit also helps us in a particular way that we'll read, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The word used for help is uh, so long of a Greek word that I did not want to say it. I usually am like happy to explain what they are. It's interesting. Uh, It's a big old word that we're not gonna uh, read. But it's used one other time in the New Testament when Martha asked Jesus to make Mary help her with all the kind of chores that she was doing to to get ready for Jesus to host him. Mary's worshiping and she's like, dude, make her help me. So I think the idea is that the Spirit lends us a hand steps in to assist when we are at the end of ourselves and can't do what's in front of us. The idea of the Holy Spirit being a helper is not new. We could um, preach the idea of Holy Spirit as helper from a number of other passages um, in the scripture. Um, Jesus himself told his disciples that the Spirit would be a helper. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper or the advocate in John 14. He says the Spirit will himself teach the disciples. The Spirit will remind the disciples of all the things that Jesus taught them, will remind us of Scripture. We read in John 14, the Spirit will bring lasting peace to them. But here, Paul reiterates the idea that the Spirit is a helper, but in this passage, it is a particular kind of help that has to do with our praying. We do not know what we ought to pray for. I like Paul because he is honest. There's a handful of passages where you're like, I appreciate that you said that because I feel that too. I really, really resonate with this line. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Uh, I'm not talking about like reciting prayers. Like there's kind of the standard American Christian prayer that we pray at dinner about asking God to bless food. Uh, There's the Lord's Prayer, which we should pray. We can and do pray that. There are beautiful prayers and liturgies from all sorts of branches and areas of God's people throughout the ages. Um, I think what Paul's talking about here is when you are confronted with the depths of your brokenness or that of the world, when your soul is like undone with your sin 
or unraveled because you're suffering through something. And things are so bad that you just don't know what to say anymore, don't know how to pray. Am I supposed to ask God to remove this struggle? Am I supposed to ask God for patience to endure it? Am I supposed to confidently assert in Jesus' name that this sickness be healed? Or do we, like Job, do we kind of stand up and argue and, and kind of joust with God a little bit and then back down when he um, establishes his place? Um, I just really identify with this concept of not knowing what to pray. Um, for me, I think it's another form of works-based righteousness, a gospel of works that seeps into my, my life with Jesus. When something's going wrong in me or outside of me in my world or those around me, for some reason I think inadvertently that the right combination of words or that plus the right kind of internal attitude will earn, will earn God's favorable response to me. And so if God isn't responding to me the way that I think he should and the timing that I think he should, if he's not fixing the thing that's wrong, I assume maybe, maybe I'm praying wrong. Maybe I'm not saying the right things. Maybe you have successfully internalized the true gospel of grace so well in your life that that's not an issue for you, but it is a legitimate hang-up for me that I keep circling back to in my life with Jesus where I have to remind myself, preach that to myself, that that is not what the gospel says. So Paul is, I, in a very helpful way for me, identifying with the human experience of being at a loss for words when things are not going well. And then he brings in the good news. It's not like an addendum to the gospel. This is part of the, the legit gospel right here. He brings it here, a different angled look at it when he says that the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The first thing to do is to get your giggles out of the way at the phrase wordless groans because it's silly. Um, there's actually quite a bit of mystery and scholarly debate about what that phrase actually means. Um, some scholars think it's actually referring to speaking in tongues. So it's a human kind of being at the end of their understanding of language and so they begin to speak in tongues to, the, to God. Some think it's referring to humans just simply struggling to find words and so their spirit within them kind of produces these wordless groanings or something. Um, the view that I think makes the most sense is reflected in our translations, um, which is that it is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who is producing these wordless groanings, or some translations say inexpressible or too deep for words. The idea, I think, is supposed to convey some mystery, some wonder. The Spirit is communicating, um, whether in actual sounds or spirit words that we don't know. Um, he is interceding on our behalf, standing in the gap, communicating with our Father in heaven, praying like in us, for us, and through us to God. Uh, a theologian, Robert Mount, says, the Spirit comes to the aid of believers, baffled by the perplexity of prayer, and takes their concerns to God with an intensity far greater than we could ever imagine. Our groans become his as he intercedes on our behalf. So, not only does the Spirit come to our aid through this ministry of intercession, of inexpressible intercessory groanings, but he does so in a particular manner that Paul shares here in the next verse. He intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. That's the first part of the sentence that we have to break down. God searches our hearts, Psalm 139, God searches us, knows us, can reveal truths about ourselves that we might not even be aware of until God makes it known. 
various scriptures throughout the Bible um, show that God knows the intent and the hearts of humanity. But in this case, it's the mind and the thoughts of the Holy Spirit within us that God knows. Like, yes, he knows our hearts. He knows the suffering that we experience. He knows the shame that we feel when we're struggling. He knows the pain that we feel. But he also simultaneously knows the mind of the Holy Spirit who is in us and interacting with us and part of us. He knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit is interceding in a way that God can hear. And then we read, the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's a little bit of a cyclical mind bender, but let's think about it. God knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit will always think and act in accordance with what God wants. It'd be like if you visited yourself from the future, tried to figure out what, what am I about to do, you wouldn't necessarily have to ask, like, oh, what would I do in this scenario? You would just know because it's your mind asking or figuring out what you would do in the past. God knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit thinks like God, because the Spirit is God, but we know the Trinity. It's a mind bender. Robert Mount says his, God's knowledge is direct, not dependent upon one's ability to articulate concerns. Um, teaching this scripture has allowed me to fulfill a lifelong dream, which is to be able to use a scene from Aladdin as an analogy. Uh, just in case we need more um, instruction on how this works. Uh, when Aladdin, spoiler alert, by the way, uh, bound and thrown into the sea after singing A Whole New World. It's one of cinema's greatest um, tragic turns. Uh, the lamp kind of floats down the, the bottom of the ocean by Aladdin, and you're just hoping that he can touch it, and it slides right by his hand. His hand brushes the lamp, and Genie pops out. And he's freaking out. He's trying to figure out a way to make Aladdin, in his unconscious drowning state, um, wish to be saved. And so Genie, speaking to Aladdin, says, I can't cheat. You have to make a wish. You have to say, Genie, I want you to save my life. Aladdin says nothing. Genie picks him up, like, come on, Aladdin. Let's him go. And Aladdin just kind of slumps over. And Genie goes, I'll take that as a yes. And then he transforms into the submarine and rescues Aladdin out of the ocean. He spoke on Aladdin's behalf to himself. He was trying not to break the rules. He was going on as if it was Aladdin that made the wish, but uh, really it was Genie wishing on his behalf. This is an airtight analogy. Paul himself would have used it if the movie existed back then. If that's not good enough for you, if you need something more than Aladdin, uh, we could use Karl Barth, his commentary on Romans. He says, God makes himself our advocate with himself that he utters for us that ineffable groaning so that he will surely hear what we ourselves could not have told him so that he will accept what he himself has to offer. So the way the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we come to the end of ourselves is by correctly praying things that we might not even know to pray so that God hears from the Holy Spirit within us the things that correspond to what God wants for us and this world. I don't know of a more encouraging scripture when it comes to prayer. If you've ever felt like I felt, which is, I don't, I don't know what to say anymore. This is frustrating. I can't think of something that is more encouraging than what this, what we learn the Holy Spirit does for us. So two questions to think about and then two 
statements to uh, leave you with. Do you know that you need help? Do you know that you are weak, to use the language of Romans 8? This is probably step one, is admitting (laughs) defeat and brokenness. And unfortunately, it takes usually real hardship to learn this. Sometimes it takes wrecking your life or a season of your life with sin. Sometimes it takes years of battling illness or pain or sometimes it takes seasons of loneliness or disappointment or frustration. Despair of feeling like I'm not the person I thought I would be by this point. I'm not where I thought I would be by this point. Most of us in here uh, I know have experienced enough of something hard to know this, for this to be kind of part of our, um, our soul is I don't have what it takes. I need help. And some, but sometimes we need that truth refreshed if it's been a minute. Sometimes we forget how in need we actually are. So I'd like to bring to your attention this fact and the scripture, John 15, five, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Without abiding in Jesus, which happens through the spirit of God in us, we are like a branch disconnected from its source, unable to produce anything, unable to live. But this is actually a good thing that this happens. Um, I remember this time, I think I was like a junior in high school. I was at a um, winter camp and one of the pastors of the church I was at was, was there. And um, I just happened to like have a moment to talk with him about uh, what was going on in my life at that time. And I was just struggling. Um, all I can remember about how I felt about that season was that I just felt very distant from God, like I was putting in a lot of effort but didn't feel like um, God was near to me in that moment, in that season. So I, I told this guy, I said, I feel like I am just utterly lost in the wilderness right now. And I remember he looked at me and he said, good. He said, I, this might be exactly where God wants to find you, where you know that you need help, where you know that you're lost. And I'll never forget that moment. Um, you might be uh, sitting here thinking like, I know theoretically I need help. I know theoretically I'm weak. But maybe, um, maybe it's time to really give that some meaningful thought if you don't feel weak. Maybe you're like that dude with his arm out the window holding onto the mattress thinking like, I, I maybe need help, but I kind of, I got this. Maybe you think, you know, I've made a pretty good run at this thing called life so far and I don't really feel that weak or that in need of God's help. Maybe things are going great and you're in a season where your weaknesses aren't causing problems that you're aware of. Um, It might be that today, this week, is um, a call to remember how deeply you need Jesus and how broken you are. So that's the first question is, are you aware of your need and your weakness? Second question is, when you feel that, if you feel that, do you pray? That's what the passage assumes, is that when we are in situations that require hope, um, hard situations and seasons in life, that it assumes that we think to pray, which I've learned is not my natural response. I will grit through seasons of struggle and sin and frustration, discouragement and despair, and while I may acknowledge my brokenness and my weakness and my need for help, I just sometimes don't ask for it because I'm not praying. I will go halfway and I'll think things like, man, I'm really not doing well. Um, I might even acknowledge, like, I need help, but I, I don't finish the thought and pray, Lord, 
my loving Father, my Savior, I need help now. So think about, when was the last time that you prayed something like that? Praying this simple, like, Lord, Lord, please help. I need you, has been um, one of the best ways to, when I talked about earlier, kind of re, uh, circling back to this like works-based righteousness habit that I have. Praying this is one of the ways that bumps me out of it and reminds me of the gospel. God is not waiting on you to fix yourself before he listens. He's not waiting for you to pray the right combination of words before he responds. He knows that we are, already knows that we are in need of help and that we need him. He already knows that we don't know what to say. It hasn't scared him away or made him angry with us. The Psalms call him our ever-present help in time of trouble. Not our ever-present help um, in a season that we don't need him. Not our ever-present help as long as we haven't disappointed him too much. He is present. He is our loving Savior who rescues us because we need rescuing, because we are broken. And like that salvation that we have in Jesus, even praying is a work of God in us. James Edwards, a theologian, says, prayer is not a human work. Like all of God's gifts and commands, it is evidence of God's work in believers. So those are the two questions to think about. Are you aware of your need for Jesus and your weakness? And if so, when you feel that, are you a person that prays, that brings that feeling of like, oh my word, I am not okay? Do you bring that to the Lord in prayer? Two thoughts. One, let the Holy Spirit pray for you. I think that there's a time to let go in prayer. When you are at the end of yourself, when your praying feels like unfruitful labor, I don't know if you've had an experience like this. Um, I think it may be a time to let go, not necessarily to stop praying, but to remember that the Spirit is interceding for you in those moments. Um, I had this happen recently, and I didn't, have this language for it um, at the time, but as I've been studying this, I was like, I, I think the Spirit was interceding for me. Um, it was in April. I was on a retreat with Nathan Bennett, and I was not in a good place. Um, I was really struggling in my relationship with Jesus, struggling with sin, moments where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm not abandoning Jesus, but I can't be a pastor to people. Um, it was not good. And I went to this retreat thinking, Lord, you have got to meet me here. You, you need to meet me here now. I need help. I, I said I need help. Um, and I prayed for hours and have, had radio silence. It felt like the Lord was not, not listening. And I prayed literally until I fell asleep in the afternoon. I woke up. I went on a walk back to this where we were sleeping. I prayed on that walk, and when I got back into the bed, I fell asleep again, and didn't mean to, but I think it was like a channeling a little bit of Elijah's story. Um, and all I know is literally the next morning in a time of prayer and worship, I felt like the Lord said, I've got you. I know you needed me, and I've helped you. You are delivered. Um, and I... It was not something I prayed. It was not something that I, I journaled and like got the right way 
to phrase it so that God knew I understood the gospel, that I understood how I was broken. It was something that happened without me making it happen. And I really, I really believe that it was the intercession of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe uh, the next time that you are in a season of suffering or struggle and you're praying, it feels like you're spinning in circles. Maybe it's time to just pause what feels like the labor and the effort and to say, Holy Spirit, please intercede for me. I need your help. Last thing for us to think about, um, God deeply cares about you and longs to restore all things. I believe that's one of the points of this chapter of Romans 8. He cares about the things that cause you and this world um, suffering. He cares so much about it that uh, from within you, the Holy Spirit is praying for things to be made right. And he's doing so in a way that corresponds with God's will. He's doing this on our behalf and alongside of us. And so, though I may feel like he is, though you may feel like God is distant, he actually is not. It may feel like he doesn't see or may feel like he doesn't care. It may feel like he is unmoved by the depths of our struggle and our despair, but he is not distant or or uncaring or unmoved. He is ever-present, our ever-present help in time of trouble. He is working out his plan to restore all things and to make all things right, including the things that we mess up. He's doing what is ultimately best for you and for me and for this world. The mystery is how is he doing good in all of the evil that we do that is done around us and to us, but he is working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I hope that as you think about and process your weakness, your need for help, that you see the like, the beauty of the Holy Spirit helping you already without you even maybe knowing it, and also God's plan that is happening, whether you know it or are aware of it or not, that he is making all things new and all things um, will be restored. So let's pray together. Father, I pray for my church family, some of whom I know the things that they have wrestled with and struggled with, and some who I I don't know. They have parts of their stories um, that may be hidden to most or maybe um, have just kept quiet to battle on their own. And I pray in this moment that um, you would remind them of your work through the Spirit as intercessor, the one who stands on our behalf to mediate for us, to pray on our behalf. So Spirit, we say thank you for doing this work. I don't even know that we have to ask you to do it, but we ask you to please speak for us when we don't know what to say. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.